Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Today is the Good News Part 3. The Good News Part 3 and the title of today's sermon is The Passion of the Christ. The Passion of the Christ. How many of you watched that movie growing up? The Passion of the Christ. They'll play it so that you cry. <laughs> and like there was a strong message in that movie, funny enough. And a lot of a lot of us never really understood. We just cried and we didn't know why we were crying. Like, why are they beating this guy? Like, please leave him alone. Anyways, but today we're going to understand really, you know, what what, what the whole thing means and why Jesus had to go through that. Um, And it's been amazing so far. Last week we started a very important part of this, you know, and on Sunday we discussed the Christ. We discussed how the Jews were expecting a great king to arise out of Israel, a king who, you know, is going to rule forever. And we also saw that, you know, they were also expecting someone who is going to be a substitute for their sin. And remember in part one, we spoke about the fact that man owed a debt he couldn't pay, right? And God is saying, someone is going to come and is going to pay on man's behalf. And so we started by looking at who this Messiah is. What did we say the Christ means? We means we said that Christ means what? Anointed one. From the Greek word what? Christos. Right? And that's the same word that in the, in the Hebrew was translated as what? Mashiach or Messiah as you popularly know it. Right? Alright, and so we started by looking at all the most of the prophecies about the Christ and what he was going to come, come you know come to do for the Jews. And we, we looked through how the Jews understood that there was someone who was going to come and was going to be both the suffering servants, you know, to be a substitute for their sin, as well as the king who would reign forever. And then towards the end of that teaching, we got to a part where we saw that, you know, um Christ or whosoever the anointed one is, whosoever the Messiah is, had to be, you know, he had to die to be a substitute for their sin. And yet he had to resurrect so that he would be the king that would reign forever. How many of you remember that? All right. And we ended by saying that if Jesus did not die, then our sins are not forgiven. Because he's the lamb that God accepted for our sins. And if he did not resurrect, he's not the king forever. And in today's teaching, we said we're going to answer two questions. And those two questions will help us understand all that Jesus did. And those two questions are, number one, did Jesus really die? How can I be sure? Did he really die? How can I be sure of this? What's the proof? What's the evidence? And number two, did Jesus really resurrect? So what did I say the first one is? Did Jesus really die? And what did I say number two is? Did Jesus really resurrect? Now it's important that we answer these two questions. You know, it's very important that we answer these two questions because a lot of us grew up, you know, learning to know about Jesus Christ. And yet in the face of a very little uh, um, conversations, we're not able to hold our own. And, And you have to understand that a claim against the death of Jesus is a claim against your salvation. 
Because if Jesus didn't really die, it means that there's been no substitute for your sin and, and hence you're still a sinner. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if Jesus didn't resurrect, that is any claim against the resurrection of Jesus is also a claim against your eternal life. And then any claim against both the death and the resurrection of Jesus is a claim that Jesus is not the savior that scriptures prophesied about. And that is why it's important for us to take out the time as we're doing now to answer this question. Every believer has to be able to present an argument to defend the reason why you know that Jesus died. And so we start by answering the question, did Jesus really die? So are you guys ready? All right. One of the most important things you have to know and learn is that the death of Jesus isn't just a fanatical belief or something we just say. It's actually a historic fact. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of people think it's just one story we heard about. But it's a historic fact that Jesus died. And actually many historic sources except Islam record that Jesus lived, was crucified and died on the cross. The Muslims actually, are the, I, I think Islam is the only historic source that says that Jesus did not die. And the Muslims believe that Allah um, put the face of Jesus on, on someone else and so they killed another person and they did not kill Jesus. Even though they believe that Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's coming back again. But you have to see that other than Islam, you know, many other historic sources, the Jewish historians, Roman historians and Roman hist um, historic sources all believe and claim that Jesus died. Even non-Christian sources, pagan sources say the death of Jesus is a historic fact. I'll give you a few examples. A Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus in one of his writings says, and I, I'll just quote that and read to you. It says, there was about a time, there, sorry, there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. A teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure, he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. Now, this is, this is a historic record. And this historian is writing, this Jewish historian is writing about Jesus. And he's saying, he was Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophet had foretold, this and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. And then there's a record of the writing. Now this is a Jewish historian writing about Jesus saying that at the hand of Pilate, Jesus was condemned to the cross. Let me give you another example. Another historian named Joseph Klausner, um, Klausner is spelled K-L-A-U-S-N-E-R, writes and says, and, and I just quote from one of his writings, There are many reliable theories regarding the fact that his name was Yeshua of Nazareth, that he practiced sorcery, and by sorcery there, he meant to say he performed miracles as was common in those days. It says, and seduction and led Israel astray. Now, don't worry, this doesn't mean this was the truth of what happened, but he's a historian. This is to tell you this guy is not even in support of the Christ. He called what he did sorcery. Are you getting it? And he said he led Israel astray. It says that he mocked the words of the wise and discussed scriptures in the same way as the Pharisees. 
that he had five disciples and that he said he had not come to revoke the law nor to add anything to it that he was hung up on a piece of wood crucified as a false authority and seduced out of the eve of passover which fell on saturday and that his disciples cured diseases in his name now yes five disciples he didn't have five disciples regardless of that you see a consistency in the historic account that there was a man named jesus who lived on this earth and was crucified are you getting what i'm saying and he was crucified and what matters to us was that the man existed <laughs> and he was crucified and the fact that he died means that our sins are gone and that's what we're trying to prove did jesus really die are you getting this so let's consider the facts shall we let's talk about the roman crucifixion so there's no argument that it was a man jesus um he was crucified you know but let's talk about crucifixion a little listen there's no record anywhere of anyone ever surviving a full roman crucifixion so what I'm doing today isn't just a preaching, it's more of like a teaching and a, an exposition. So I want you to pay attention very closely, right? So there's no account anywhere of anyone ever surviving a Roman crucifixion. You see, even the word crucifixion, you know, is gotten from, um, I've forgotten the word now. I think it's gotten from, it's, it's the same word, actually. The root word they used to get crucifixion is the same word you get the, the word excruciating from. Where you get excruciating pain because crucifixion, you know, is a method of capital punishment where the victim is tied or nailed to a large wooden beam and left to hang until the person eventually dies. And it was a tested and trusted method. Listen, it was not just invented for Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? It was not just invented for Jesus. It was a proven and tested method of killing people in the most painful and humiliating way. And so I'll just give you a few things that the process involved. Some of you, maybe when you watch the movie, you cried, you know, but, you know, some of you that have very um, um, graphic um, imagination can probably picture what I'm going to explain to you. So there's one process called the scourging. How does the scourging happen? The prisoner is stripped off his clothes and his hands are tied to a post above his head. And then a soldier steps forward with something called a flagrum. Now, or flagellum. Now, when you hear that, it sounds sweet. Maybe it's koboko. But it, 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 it isn't just that. I'll tell you what it contains. Now, it's a short whip that contains several heavy leather thongs. At the end of it, there are two small balls of lead attached to it. And then each of those strips have bones tied to them. Now, that makes it more, <laughs> more graphic, yeah? It has bones attached to it. And then so at each whip, those bones literally tear off the skin and the skin follows. Do you understand? So they, 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 they heat and they drag. That's what scourging entails. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's what scourging entails. And it cuts deeper. It cuts deeper at every, you know, at every heat until, you know, <laughs> this is so, you know, when, when, when I first realized this and I pictured it, I was like, oh my God, how can someone survive this? Listen, they do this until the person's back is like rebounds. You know what rebounds are? They've, they've, they've done that and then they've pulled it, you know, and it's, it just gets so messy and the person is bleeding. And then when it is determined by the centurion that, you know, the person is near death. So you have to realize that the centurion has to confirm that the person is near death. Then the beating is finally stopped. So this is one process, scourging. Another thing that the crucifixion entails in itself, you know, is, is the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns. 
and small flexible branches you know are pleated into the shape of a crown and then that crown is pressed into the scalp of the prisoner and then again the person begins to bleed so yes you've been bleeding at your back now you're bleeding from your head are you with me and in Jesus's case you have to realize that he probably had even lost a lot more blood because you know the night before he was already sweating blood now again you know there's a lot of bleeding going on another thing that was present you know in 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 in, in the crucifixion is great dehydration so having not drank anything the last night before when in, in Jesus's case and the beating and the crown of thorns and you know that's the scourging and everything it just sets in motion a full process of dehydration and that's why you would understand why you know Isaiah prophesied of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4 he says surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow he says yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted then 5 says he was wounded for our transgression he says he was crushed for our iniquities it says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then it says, by his stripes, we are healed. Are you getting this? And then another thing that followed was the carrying of the cross. So, the prisoner after going through all of this would have, you know, and is stripped naked, would have to carry. And you have to think of the humiliation of being stripped naked. Are you getting this? Who knows, maybe the movie used to help you put pants in Jesus when they are acting the movies for you. But the ideal process is that the person is stripped naked. So there's a huge possibility he was naked. The humiliation. Are you getting what I'm saying? And now, it was, it's customary in crucifixion for the accused person to carry his cross while they are flogging him from that place to the site of the crucifixion. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, let, let's talk even of, of the weight of the cross. The, the, the cross should weigh, I mean, approximately about 136 kg. And I think usually the, the person has to just carry, you know, um, 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 the beam, the cross one. And that one alone weighs something close to like 70 kg. Let me give you a good perspective of it. A bag of rice weighs 50 kg. How many of you can carry a bag of rice? <laughs> okay, so... 70 kg so this is someone who had been flogged uh because he's saying glory you give you back a rest <laughs> and this is someone who had been flogged who had been scourged <laughs> and now he has to carry this and in jesus's case you understand that he couldn't even carry it someone had to help him are you guys following what i'm saying someone had to help him now, another thing, you know, that would have happened and that always happens, you know, to people who go, who go through this thing is they have breathing problems. Now, this is because, uh, first of all, there's a nailing to the cross you carried in the end. It's a nailing to the cross you carried. So, it's not enough that you've carried the cross and you've gotten there. Now, you are nailed with, with something, with a, with a nail that is, I think, about 11.5 centimeters. That's like 4.53 inches. So, maybe the nail you know is the one they use for your house. But imagine something as long as 11.5 centimeters. 
nailed into what he's reached and a lot of people think he, he was nailed to his palm and all these pictures you have but it's not possible this will tear he was nailed to his wrists and then number six and this is a very important part of the crucifixion because in the end they want it to be a slow and painful and humiliating death they wait for you to lose your life and if you don't they have a confirmation they have something that they use to confirm that hope you have truly died so listen if you go to john chapter 19 and verse 32 everybody open to john 19 32 to 34 john 19 32 to 34 please uh, media team post it I, I want everybody you know to read are you all there all right so john 19 media team is not even following us 32 to 34 says then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other two who was crucified with him but when they came to jesus and saw he was already dead they did not break his legs so listen one of the ways they ensured that the person was dead is that they would break the knees of the criminals now and i'll tell you why and i'll explain this to you so it's because the whole weight of your body and if you can look at the screen now you're like this the prisoner is like this and the whole weight of the body remember that the toes are also you know nailed together so the whole weight is carried literally by the knees so to breathe properly the person has to extend this way by pushing with the knees are you getting it and so in breaking the knees you're not able to push yourself up or down at all and so eventually you're going to have to suffocate are you getting this but look at this and look at how you have to understand how critical how critical and how what's the word how many of you watch roman like movies that where they show roman soldiers you know how particular they are like there's there's almost no room they are professional killers <laughs> you understand what i'm saying so now they come to break the knees and 33 says but when they came to jesus and saw that he was already dead they did not break his leg so they use one method but he was dead but to confirm his death again so there is double security two step on um, two factor authentication after the, <laughs> after the first one <laughs> you know they confirmed but now after breaking the knee they still need to do 2fa deaths so you know he says one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out so listen there i i do i see no way in particular that anybody could have survived this. these guys all of this process is what crucifixion entails to show you that the end goal and the end product is surely what death and what i told you is not just something this 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 is like a historic account of crucifixion if you study the crucifixion properly it's a tested and trusted way of killing so what prob what probably killed jesus a few things that likely killed jesus i did my research i spoke to a lot of doctors i think the first time i ever did this teaching i spoke to a few doctors and one of the first things that probably killed jesus is something called asphyxiation it's not a biology class don't worry but it's spelled a s p h y x i a t i o n asphyxiation and asphyxiation is a condition of you know deficient supply of oxygen to the body that arises due to abnormal breathing so you have to understand that if jesus was nailed or whatever the prisoner is in crucifixion is nailed this way 
there's obviously going to be trouble trouble breathing are you getting this and so there'll be difficulty inhaling and due to the position of the muscle and the lungs so there's going to be shortness of breath obviously remember he had been carrying a cross of about 70 kg right or even more for so long had been flogged so shortness of breath another thing that possibly killed jesus is hypovolemic shock hypovolemic shock happens you know from significant or sudden blood loss from the body remember he was already sweating blood the day before comes here they flog him he's losing blood he wears a crown of thorn he's losing blood not to talk of like all the sweat and everything and so he's on the cross you know the nail both of his hands he's losing blood you know nail his feet he's losing blood are you getting this so Obviously, there's going to be, I don't know how much of fluid you're going to have in your body, but when your back is like reborn and you've been bleeding so much, come on. <laughs> Another thing that could have killed him is arrhythmia. And that's uneven heartbeat. It means your heart, you know, is out of its usual rhythm, usually like a skipped beat, like a skipped heartbeat or a fluttering. Now, these are, these are some things that probably, you know, could have killed Jesus. The second one is hypovolemic shock. Now, Journal of American Medical Association did a report on the death of Jesus. Now, you have to understand, if you think that it's a fanatic idea, this is a medical association doing a report on the death of Jesus. And here's what they had to say. Clearly, the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. And it supports the traditional view that the spear thrust between his right rib probably perforated not only the right lung, but also the pericardium and heart, and thereby ensured his death. So listen, this is a, this is a, this is a medical report. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumptions that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Did you hear that? That a claim that Jesus did not die after going through all the things that he said he went through in history appears to be at, ho- at, at odd with modern mo- medical knowledge. So this is something to, to, to think about. There's a man called Jesus. He died on the cross. Remember, you're not just taking this teaching in isolation. You're t- taking it in reference to what I taught you in the previous text, right? That there was a prophecy that there is a Messiah who is going to die. And it's going to be a substitute for your sin. This is the solution to the sin problem. Are you getting it? This is the solution to the sin problem. Now, there's some early sources that confirm the crucifixion of Jesus. And there's the creed. Now, these are witnesses, you know, of the accounts of the death of Jesus, which are dated, you know, to be within one month of his death. So there's the creed. And you know the whole thing about the Quran, the answer is simple. You have to understand that the Quran was written in the 7th century, almost 600 years after the crucifixion of Christ. And so the gospel, in contrast with the Quran, was written 35 to, you know, to 65 years after the event. So which would you raise higher? People who were around in the time that it happened or something that was written over 600 years after. Are you getting what I'm saying? Exactly. So let's look at Paul's letter. One of the things that I mean, earliest Christian creeds, um, his first letter to the Corinthians, right? And I, I reckon that this was written around, you know, a few years after his death, something 55 to 60 years, you know. And then it contains a Christian creed that begins this way. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, 
He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, this is Paul talking. He says, That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with what? With the Scriptures. So this is what Paul is saying. And this is important. This is somebody who could have, you know, it happened in a time not so far from his time. So if it didn't happen, he would have said it's a contradiction to what scripture says. But he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was, he was what? Raised on the third day in accordance with what? With scriptures. Are you getting it? Now, every time I, I, I do this teaching, I like to play a, a short clip. I did it last year. And I will just try to do that again for you guys today. Now, this teaching, like I said, is pure. It's not just a preaching meeting. It's a teaching meeting. It's to give you evidence. Remember, we told you that um, the church is, is your school. is where you learn. is where you learn. So, And it has to be treated as such. As such. So I'll just play a video for you. And I want everyone to play, pay close attention. And this is still just giving you proofs um, on... The fact that Jesus obviously died and it, it can be scientifically proven based on all the available um, historical accounts, right? Alright, so just pay attention as I just play this. It's seven minutes, but I might try to shorten it and skip it. Alright? Alright, so did you guys get that? Now, that's... that's um, a scientist carrying out like a lot of like his experiment now he's not christian are you getting this or we don't know if he's christian but this is like scientific this is him going through all of the process to try and come to a conclusion on what might have possibly possibly killed jesus and then you saw all the things you know that they checked and you have to understand that there is no surviving. He didn't even get to the part of like the, the rupture into the, the heart of Jesus, which obviously might have punctured the heart. And that's why water came out. So now this makes you understand that there is no way, even scientifically, that he survived the death on the cross. And as against this making you sad, this is good news. And I'll tell you why this is good news. This is good news because if he died, then truly he's a substitute. There's a theological concept called the substitutionary atonement. And in the substitutionary atonement, we understand, like I explained to you before, that because man is guilty, man could not pay for his sin by himself. There had to be a substitute, someone who did not carry sin. And that was what Jesus, that was the prophecy about Jesus. And that's what the, the prophecy about the Messiah, the Christ. And that's why if Jesus died, we understand him to be the man prophesied in scripture. We understand him to be the Christos, the Messiah. Are you getting this? And so, yes, Jesus died. And yes, my sins are paid for. And that's why I can rejoice. Remember John chapter 3 and verse 16, that God loved the world in this manner. For God so loved the world that is in this manner by doing this. How? He gave his son to do what? To die. And so if Jesus died, then our sins are gone. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? 
Say my sins are gone. There is now a solution to the sin problem. Do you guys understand this? Because of our time, we'll go to the next one. Did Jesus really resurrect? Remember that if Jesus really died, no one can bring a claim against you. Because if he really died, then your sins are gone. Condemnation is taken out of the way. It's thrown out the window. Are you getting this? All right, I'm, I need feedback, sir. I need to know if you can hear me. All right. So did he really resurrect? Did he really resurrect? Did he really resurrect? You see, one of the most fascinating things for me when I begin to study scriptures is how that many of the things that happened to Jesus was prophesied. It was prophesied, you know, how he was going to die. Do you know it was even prophesied that water and blood was going to come out of his side when, he's, when, when the spear is, is, is put through him? Almost everything. It was prophesied that he would be nailed to the cross even before crucifixion was invented. You have to understand. And this is the accuracy of scriptures. So did Jesus really resurrect? And I'm just going to go through this very fast because of our time. So yes, Jesus dies as we've, as we've examined and we've seen. And he's placed in the rich man's tomb as prophesied. And remember, this was necessary because his body had to be preserved for the resurrection. And so he was sealed inside the tomb. And so this is how I'm going to approach this. Imagine you're an investigative journalist. Right? So you're, you're here to, you know, investigate and figure out what really happened with the body of Jesus Christ. And then I'll give you a few, a few available, at least a few evidences, and then you make a case. Right? Do we all agree? Alright, I'm trying to make this teaching as interactive as possible, right? Are you following? Alright, so imagine you're an investigative journalist and you approach to the scene. And first of all, the historical record you can see from the Gospel of Matthew tells you in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Verse 4 says, The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Verse 7 says, Then go, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into galilee there you will see him now i have told you and verse 8 says so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy you have to understand there's a reason why they are filled with joy and that's why you don't hear a sermon like this and then you're you're just looking there's a reason your heart has to be filled with joy because this message tells you that hey what was promised the problem the condemnation has been taken away because someone died. Because someone is a substitute. In verse 9, scripture says, Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, the first thing, and one of the first things to note in Matthew's account that we just read is that Matthew would be hurting his defense, you know by putting the, the 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 account of women because according to normal jewish customs women were not trusted were not seen as trusted witnesses are you getting this and so 
Matthew could have decided to just remove and say, oh, oh, no, no, women were not the ones that saw him first. Let's, let's, you know, let's just change the story. But the fact that he puts it there as an investigative journalist, you're looking and you're saying, if this guy is really trying to lie, he could, he should have tampered with this stuff. And it would have been preferable to, to change his account. But he didn't. The second thing you look at when you look at the whole story is that the tomb was sealed. It was a rich man's tomb. It was sealed. And so unless Jesus had the machinery and he knew how to use it, or his disciples did, and his disciples were not there, so he had to maybe be opened from inside out, how then was the, was the stone rolled over? Are you getting what I'm saying? The third thing you would consider is that the Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. And if you've watched Roman movies when they guard stuff, how many of you have seen those movies now? When they want to sleep, what do they do? They take turns, right? And people keep watch. And so now, there is a story that um, the Roman soldiers are giving and they are like, oh, all of us slept off. And then the disciples of Jesus came and stole his body. You have to understand that Jesus was a very controversial man in his time. Most popular criminal. Are you getting it? Most popular criminal. Like Pilate says, I have the most popular, the, the most uh, a very treasure, treacherous guy in jail. I want to release one person to you between Jesus and this guy. And they said, give us Barabbas, <laughs> crucify Jesus. That's how controversial he is. And now this guy is in, is in prison, is in a tomb, and has claimed that he's going to resurrect. And you put guards to watch him, and then all the guards said they slept off. This is important. And so they were guarding the body. How did they sneak past the soldiers? Number one. Number two. How did they roll a stone that big and made no noise to wake up the sleeping guys? Remember the story of the jailer with Paul and Silas when he, when an angel came and lose them. What did he, what did the jailer want? What did the jailer want to do? He wanted to kill himself. And I can agree and say it is because the punishment for letting a prisoner go is far worse than death. That's why he would rather just kill himself than go through that punishment. And so that's why I, I, it's not going to be easy to believe that you guys slept off while watching the most controversial prisoner. Something supernatural must have happened. Are you getting what I'm saying? Something supernatural must have what? Must have happened. In John's account, in John chapter 20 from verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciples um, started and head, they went heading for the tomb and both were running and but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first and verse 5 it says he bent over mm -hmm. and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in then Simon Peter who was behind him arrived and went into the tomb he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial clothes that had been around Jesus and then the clothes was folded by itself separate from the linen finally the other disciples had who had read the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And 19, it says, they did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
the disciples went back to their homes 11 but mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where jesus body had been and one had and one at the head and the other at the foot and asked her woman why are you crying they have taken my lord away she said and i don't know where they have put him and 14 he says listen the accounts that the fact that they were saying they are taking my lord away showed you how oblivious they were to what was happening are you with me and then thinking he was the gardener she was asking the angel sir if you've carried him away tell me where you've put him and i'll get him and jesus said to her mary she turned and looked at him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them. This is another thing. A woman's testimony in a Jewish culture. So, the fourth thing as an investigative journalist you see is that, first of all, when they got to the tomb, they record that <laughs> the clothes, the robe was folded, meaning it was not in a hurry. <laughs> it was well folded. Are you getting this? And someone is like, oh, why do they have different accounts and they are the same thing? Listen, and I've taught you this before. In the Synoptic Gospels, the differences in the accounts are not, are not a contradiction, but rather an explanation. Now, as an investigative journalist, you hear about this kind of thing, and then you are reading different people's accounts. And the first person says, for example, in my room now, someone paints white here. And I say, who did this? And then we're three in the room. One stepped out. And then you ask three of us as an investigative journalist, who did this? And the first person comes and says, oh, actually, a bed flew in, took three steps to the right, rolled over, jumped up and made the mark and you're like hmm okay and then you ask me and then i say oh a bed flew in took three steps rolled to the side and then jumped and then made the mark and then the person outside too you ask that one too and that one too says a bed flew in took three steps rolled um what did i say took three steps rolled over jumped and made the mark as against thinking that that's the accurate thing that happened as an investigative journalist you would actually suspect foul play because how is it that you who is here looking at the window, you who is there doing something else, and you who is outside are giving me the same account? There will be you would actually, you know, think that there was collusion. You guys have met and you've said something. So the differences tell you that they are different perspectives of what happened. But in getting everybody's perspective, you get the full picture. Are you understanding it? So the the, the differences in the synopsis are not a contradiction, but rather they give you a full picture. Do you understand this? But in all of the accounts, the facts remain. The time of the day, you know, Mary Magdalene went out, angel appeared, Jesus appeared, women fled from the tomb. Shikina. Another thing to consider, number five, according to what we see, is that no public search was carried out to find the body. No arrests were made. Nothing. We didn't even... <laughs> it's so funny. Are you getting what I'm saying? For Roman soldiers. And then our greatest... You know, one of the great evidences we see, even according to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that he was seen of over 500 witnesses. So even if it was hypnosis, at least one person would have said, oh, you know what I'm saying? Over 500? In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, which we already started to read. Let's go to 5. I already read 1 to 3, 1 to 4 to you. 5, he says, and he was seen of Cephas. 
then of the twelve. And after that, it was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until present. So they were, and he was saying that some of the people were alive at the time of his writing, but some are falling asleep. That is, some are dead. After that, it was seen of James, and then of the apostles, and last, it was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And he was talking about his own encounter. Are you getting what I'm saying? And this had to be one of the things that made these guys who were of little faith be able to proclaim this guy, proclaim about Jesus even till their death. Because seeing him alive must have convinced them. This was one of the things that, that, that propelled even the push of the church, the start of the church. <laughs> because such a miraculous event has to make you convinced that everything that this guy said is true. So we can categorically see and properly see that Jesus died. And resurrected. I'll give you a few references. Listrobel put an idea in my head in one of his books called The Case for Christ. And there's also a movie about it. And if you have time, make sure you watch the movie, The Case for Christ. You know, um, maybe someone can send you the link um, to find the movie. And he made a statement that, that stuck with me ever since. And he said, the evidence of the resurrection of Christ is so compelling that it can be presented in a modern day court and it would make sense. Are you getting what I'm saying? And this was literally the idea in the movie, The Case for Christ. They made a case. They made a case. And this is the good news. To know that this really happened, and by believing that this happened, your sins are forgiven. John 3.16 now makes more sense about the love of God. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First John 3 16, hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So listen, he did it for me. The death and the resurrection happened for me. First of all, God loves me because the incarnation happened. God had to come. He had every power to escape that, you know. It was not news that Jesus could do miracles. But because of what he saw ahead, because he considered Simi, he considered Lois, he considered Michael, he considered Dickens, he endured the pain. I like to make this joke. Do you know what it would have what would have happened if Jesus decided, you know, to be like Thanos? Just a snap. Everybody wiping him with came would become something creative, like a lizard and a dog together. We see from the miracles he did that he had the power. But he endured the cross for me. He endured the cross for me. That's the greatest height of humility. Philippians helps us understand that he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Since being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself to death, even dead on the cross. This, this, this is important. And now I can understand why scripture says I'm a new creature because my sins are gone. This is the solution to the sin problem. Because my sins are no longer accounted to me. I'm the man scripture prophesied as a blessed man. The man to whom his sins will not be imputed to him because somebody else had become a substitute. This has to make sense to you. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at me, all he sees is a righteous man. Because in the death of Jesus, all our sins were, were taken away. And so Paul at Athens, Greece, I love Paul's writing. I love the way he presents his kids. He, he must have been a really, really smart guy. 
So Paul is in Athens, Greece. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 25, he says, For I was passing through and considering the object of your worship. He says, I found even an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And there are a lot of people like this, talking about an unknown God. A lot of people, they don't know. They just know there's something out there. It says to the unknown God, it says, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. It says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath to all things. And in 26, it says, He has made from one blood every nation of of men to dwell on the face of the earth are you following me and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling and in verse 27 it goes out to say so that they should seek the lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him it says though he's not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own prophets have said this guy is so smart he's quoting their prophets who have spoken about god their poets rather who have spoken about god and he's saying for we are his offsprings in 29 now begins to say since therefore we are offsprings of god we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone so now he's telling you about he's telling them about a better way to see god or something shaped like art or man's devising in 30, it says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands that all men everywhere should repent, because he has appointed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed and ordained. And the next verse, it says, He has given assurance of all this by raising him from the dead. So Paul's argument is that by God raising Jesus from the dead, he has shown you that this is the set man by whom I have appointed that I will judge the world in righteousness. This is the set man by whom I have given, who will be the substitute for your sin, who will be the king to reign forever. He says he has given assurance to all. So what was what was not clear before, life after death, what's going to happen later, is now clear. I have an assurance. Every religion promises you something different, something after life, a paradise. Christianity is the only religion that has a risen Messiah to show for it. If someone tells you that there is there is a black hole and everybody's going into the black hole and no one is coming out and we don't know what is there and all of a sudden someone goes in and comes out, that person becomes the only person with the right and accuracy to tell me what happens in there. And if everybody tells you something about life after death and Jesus dies and comes back, then he becomes the only one with the right and the perfect information of what happens after death. And if he says, believe in me, and you will have eternal life then we sure have to believe in him. Have you been blessed? Can you begin to pray in the language of the Spirit? Thank God for salvation. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for his death. Thank God for his love.